Welcome to the Get Out of Teaching podcast presented by Larksong Enterprises. I'm your host, Elizabeth Diakos. On the show, we'll look at the who, what, why, where, when and how of moving out of your education career and into a life you love. We'll meet ex-teachers, delve into what we love about teaching and how to translate that into something new. We'll talk to people who can support and inspire us as we make the transition and work on identifying the legacy we want to leave in the world. So come along for the ride as we get out of teaching. Episode 10. Hi everyone and welcome to the show. On today's episode, I'm very pleased to speak with ex-teacher Nicole Ashby of High Profit Media. Welcome to the show, Nicole. Thank you. Thanks, Elizabeth, for having me. It's a pleasure. So, Nicole, tell us about your journey. What got you into teaching in the first place and how long were you actually teaching and what was the context? Like, what, where were you teaching and what, what okay. year level were you working with? Sure. I always wanted to be a teacher uh, when I was at secondary school and I actually wanted to work with... Um, I envisaged myself teaching on remote Aboriginal communities and when I was in high school, I said to my then... I think a careers teacher who he was shoved in there as a, he was a metalwork teacher and all of a sudden was da careers teacher. <laughs> yep. And um, quite racistly, he said to me, if you want to work with Aboriginals, he said, don't do teaching, do welfare. Ooh, ouch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So instead I went and did um, a BA in rural social welfare thinking, well, I'll, then I'll head up north, um, you know, as basically like a social worker. So where um, were you living at the time? So that was in Ballarat. Okay, which is in, uh, Victoria. in sort of country town in Victoria in yeah. Australia. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Regional city. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Country town. <laughs> sorry, Ballarat. <laughs> thousand people. Um, yeah, so was in Ballarat, finished my degree and then went to Perth. Um, couldn't get my foot in the door with anything Indigenous related because they had a policy around um, promoting Aboriginal people into those roles, which is fantastic. So I ended up doing... Uh, work with at-risk adolescents in a residential setting, um, which was full on. Mm. I was only 21. The kids were 16, <laughs> you know, and they had yeah. a lot more life experience than me. And um, so then I went into, I left, I burnt out after about 21 months doing that work, went in and did, um, went into retail management and sales and then thought, I must have been about 28, 29. Look, I really want to give this teaching thing a go. So was working full-time, did my grad dip ed uh, part-time and um, graduated as a secondary teacher in 2005. Yeah. Oh, same year as me. Oh, really? Yeah. There you go. <laughs> I was quite late to the profession. Yes. Yes. Okay. Go on. Yeah, very late. Um, and, at this, and I got married. Um, so I did my final exam for teaching on a Wednesday, November 2004 got married on the Friday oh wow <laughs> um was pregnant and so the first year of teaching I just did relief teaching on and off and because I didn't major in history or geography um because my major was in uh, society and environment but I didn't have that geography history under my belt because I did social welfare uh at that the year that I finished in 2005 I was in Perth there was 1200 teaching graduates wow. and about 300 wow. jobs oh no it was okay. crazy. So I ended up doing relief for the next um, three to four years mm -hmm. uh, in different two main secondary schools in Perth and, um, yeah, and had three babies in that time. 
well yeah. so you were pretty busy yeah yeah yeah. 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 yeah 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 and and look you know it's funny that you you mentioned that because i think from the what i hear from the people in the get out of teaching facebook group that situation hasn't changed that much there are still um, a lot of people trying to find a permanent position in perth and a lot of people even struggling to get relief teaching work oh really mm. oh. yeah so it's interesting that how long ago was that well, the, like you know yeah 15 years or yeah, so 15 years yeah nothing much has changed wow. okay so then so you 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 did that for four years you were having babies all that time mm-hmm. did you ever get into teaching full-time no no i didn't because um it must have been when i was pregnant with my third child that somebody introduced me um to this man called paul council and I started attending this, yeah, I was pregnant with my third, started attending these um, once a month and nightly seminar. And then that t- turned into weekend workshops. And then my brain suddenly went from, uh, I don't know that I actually want to do teaching, but I like this idea of working the hours I want when I want around three kids. Mm-hmm. And that's when I thought, oh, maybe I could actually start a business and have a crack at this business thing. Right. Okay. So that, So then I guess... Was that your tipping point? Like just that realisation that, 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 that you wanted something more flexible? Like what was the catalyst for you actually making that decision? Um, it was really, uh, I think for me, about freedom. So knowing that I had three young kids and then some of my friends who are also teachers, you know, weren't able to get time off to go to school assemblies when the kids are at school or mm-hmm. the sports days and things like that. And my husband worked, still does work offshore on an oil rig. So he does what's called FIFO, which is fly and fly out. So he goes away for 28 days. He comes home for 28 days. And knowing that I had to also have a lot of family supports to mm-hmm. go and teach on the relief days, I either have my kids in daycare, which is tricky because you don't know when you're going to get called up to teach. That's right. Or having my mum for it and, yeah. and not yeah. actually earning. Yeah, that's it. And I didn't have um, any of them in full daycare. I think at the most I might have had them one of them in two days a week. Middle child didn't do any um, any daycare. Uh, so yeah, it was just kind of that realization. Well, I've got young kids. I want to be there for them. My husband's already away for six months of the year. Uh, what you know? What's going to what's going to suit me better? So that's when I thought let's get into this, um, you know, business world and really try and make a run of it. Okay. And so as you began to like start your business, what was your biggest fear of making that transition? That I wouldn't be successful. I'd never run a business before. I had no idea what I was doing. I come from, you know, a rural, like a social welfare, social work background with a bit of management and teaching Mm. and, it was really unknown, unch- uncharted territory for me. So yeah, my biggest fear was, shit, <laughs> what if, what if this doesn't work? You <laughs> yeah. know, what if I, cause we, we put $20,000, we drew down from the mortgage and put 20K into the business right. to get it initially set up. So um, your husband was obviously supportive of this venture then? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, he was, that, he was. that makes a big difference. Not everyone's in that situation where they've got a backer. Um, and so it sounds like you actually were, were in a good position to get started and that you had a bit of a plan in place. Like when I left, I had my long service leave money, but I didn't really use that to set up my business. I just kind of, you know, did an art project and hired a studio and had, had some fun, but 
<laughs> got to the end and went, oh, okay, now what? <laughs> so yeah, I'm good. it sounds like you were much more thoughtful about it and um, as you got out. So, okay, so how did you, you said that you, you were afraid that you wouldn't succeed. How did you manage to overcome that fear, Nicole? I, it's a good question. I had a mentor. So anybody who goes into business, I highly recommend that you have a mentor or a coach who I guess can shine the light, but not just, um, not just anyone. For me, it was really important to have somebody that had already achieved the results that I wanted. Mm. So um, my mentor who I still work with, you know, 10 years later um, has started four multi-million dollar businesses from scratch. Um, he's an educator, you know, from heart. He just really wants to help empower people. So he was great because I would, I'd say, right, what do I do? And he'd say, do this. So I'd go and do it and go, right, I've done that. Now what do I do? He'd say, okay, this is the next step. So each step that I went through, he was there because he'd been there before. Yeah. So he could see what was coming that I couldn't see. He'd been in situations that I'd been, I didn't know how to, to navigate, you know, going to boardrooms, um, pitching what I was doing, um, you know, writing copy about um, for flyers or to go in newspapers mm. on the website, you know, all those sorts of things that were really foreign to me. He had a, he had a grip on. So yeah, that was, that was how I got through it. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So really th having some support made a big difference at that, yeah. at that point in time. Yeah. And even still, it sounds like even still, oh, still. that's really important. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely. Okay. And so, so what is the work that you, what, what did you do as you left teaching and then how did that sort of transition into what you're doing now? Okay. So the first, my first company was set up around that fly and fly out. So that was called FIFO Families. And that was about, the basis of that was about supporting and creating community for other fly and fly out families right around the country. Um, so predominantly our biggest bases were in uh, Western Australia and Queensland, but we had groups in every state and territory except for Canberra. And it was really just to um, have little, little gatherings of families connecting and helping each other. Because if something was going to go wrong, like the car was going to break down or the washing machine or, you know, something terrible, you'd have to go to hospital with your kids. It was always going to happen when your partner was away. And some, and I often talk about with my background in social welfare and a minor in psychology, I could see when I was starting to get really wobbly with my husband away, three young kids in my care 24-7 for 28 days. Mm. I could see that, but there were other women out there whose husbands were doing four weeks on one week off and having multiple kids and maybe moving over from, you know, New South Wales to Perth with no family and just going, Fuck, what are we, what are we doing? You know? Yeah. Yeah. So it was really to, to help them. And um, part of what I was doing through, through that was um, tapping into my social work skills, but also my teaching skills. Cause I would come up with workshops on how to live a successful FIFO life. And I deliver them for companies like Shell and Rio Tinto mm. um, in WA where we get, get women and some of the men together and talk about, well, you know, are you doing this? Have you looked at this? Are you asking your partner about what work they're doing on site? You know, are you listening to each other? Are you communicating effectively? Are you starting to plan financially because this is not going to be there forever? Mm. Um, so it was really interesting to bring in all of my skills, particularly the teaching. and. Um, I sold that in the end of 2015. Sorry, can I just stop? How did you monetize that? Because that just sounds like a really lovely Facebook group. Ah, good question. 
Yes. So from the outset, it was a company. It was not a not-for-profit mm -hmm. because I wanted to be able to control it and lead it the way I wanted to. So we had a couple of things. We had a membership that families would pay. We then went to the mining, oil and gas companies and said, we have this platform to support communities and, you know, your workers mm. and their, their families around the country. So then we would sell the packages to the companies and then they would, you know, pay us to help support their families. And then we also um, had advertisers. So fly and fly out is quite a high income um, sector of the community. Um, and financial advisors wanted to tap into that and accountants and so forth. So we would charge them accordingly. We'd have a, a fee structure. Mm. So we'd get different advertisers who wanted to target those families and workers that were happy to advertise with us. So we had, yeah, three clear revenue income streams. Right. Wow. Fantastic. And so with the, the families paying, what did they get in return for that? Um, so we would do monthly face-to-face get-togethers in their local area. And then if they were in Perth or Queensland, we'd do bigger Christmas Easter events where, you know, generally other families are with their family. Mm. But if you're a FIFO family, it felt quite isolating, particularly yeah. that Christmas, New Year um, time. So we'd do big events. We'd get, you know, 50, 60, 70 people together to celebrate those occasions with other FIFO families. We'd do webinars, as I said, the workshops. Mm. Um, and then they also got a card, which was similar to the entertainment book. Oh, yes. Yeah, but it was a FIFO families card with discounts and, um, yeah, special offers through the entertainment book world and then some of our advertisers. Right. Wow. Okay. So, so quite a lot of innovation there to get all that to, to actually get up and running and, and to make it a valuable experience for the families. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for yeah, sharing no that. Yeah, lots of great ideas here. I'm thinking, hmm, how can I... <laughs> <laughs> and you know that the most challenging thing was because what we were doing was making such a significant impact in creating that support for for women predominantly like some women would go into our forum and say you know I've been in tears I'm so happy to find this I was in such a dark place I felt so lonely and isolated or other women would say you know I've just dropped my husband off at the airport I've cried all the way home like these are families under you know a lot of pressure yeah. by choice um so that was a what you call like an, an what we were providing was an an intangible. So it wasn't a you know here's a book on surviving FIFO. A lot of it was mm. you know might be support on messenger or connecting with those other families. So that was a bit of a struggle for us because it wasn't a you know they'd get a welcome pack in the mail, but in terms of you know you've spent fifty five dollars, what do I get physically for that? You know the tangible. So that was something that. Um, when you're running business, you talk about perceived value. That was a bit of a sticking point that we always had to work on. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I understand that. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like, you know, a lot of what you describe is similar to the teachers in the get out of teaching Facebook group who are often describe themselves that they're crying on the way home or they're crying before they go to work or they're crying yeah. in the car park at work yeah. as they try to force themselves to get out of their car. So there are similarities there yeah. with that yeah. level of distress and, um, and maybe some shame around that as well for feeling that way, like that it, they should be able to cope, but they can't. Oh, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Definitely. And then when you're providing that support as well, some people would often say to me, well, why should I have to pay to meet a family, you know, at the park on a Sunday? 
-hmm. or why should I have to pay for that um, access to the Facebook page? And I'd kind of think and sometimes say, do you know how much work goes into getting you and four other families at this local park on a Sunday? Mm -hmm. um, and sometimes with a volunteer who would run that event or even just, you know, getting people into that Facebook page. It doesn't all just yeah happen, does, as you know it takes a lot of time and effort mm -hmm. yeah right. yeah yeah thank you for saying that i hope everyone's listening to that <laughs> yeah yeah it's a lot of work on the organizer's behalf yeah okay so so you you mentioned that some of the skills you had as a teacher were brought to bear mm -hmm. in this context um so i imagine your presentation skills what other things did you were you able to transfer um yeah i think the presentation and then putting the workshops together um, and it was funny because when I would get up to present, you know, to a group of mums and dads, um, or if I was getting up to talk to mining companies, or what have you, I'd put my teacher hat on just bang immediately, boom, right in front of the classroom, everybody eyes up, here we go. <laughs> and sometimes <laughs> I'd joke and say, look, you know, if they're a bit chatty, look, I have to put my teacher's voice on and separate you two. So, you know, just kind of joking around, but very much for me, I was very clear. I'm in my teaching realm. And yeah. that was what gave me the confidence to stand up in, in front of people. So I think that's a really beneficial trait from teaching mm. is that you can stand up in front of anyone. If you, you know, if, if that's something that you struggle with, just put your teacher hat on mm. and off you go. So I was able to come up with um, workshops and then, you know, also in my current business as well, as you know, um, you know, I've got a media training workshop. So going through and reverse engineering my own, media interviews with FIFO families, there was hundreds and hundreds, and then putting together a package around, well, how can I teach other people to get the same media success or similar media to success to what I've had? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so it sounds like a lot of the, the, the things that you did and the things that you learned along the way were kind of organic. Did you do any particular study or did you do any courses to, to learn how to do what you were doing? No, I just worked really closely with my mentor. So he was running a course in Perth called Money Mastery. And that was one weekend a month over 12 months. I did that twice. And that was really understanding how we've been conditioned, um, you know, the conventional wisdom, I guess, and how we've been taught and conditioned through, ironically, through schooling. Mm. That, you know, you, you go to work, you go to school from nine till three, you go to work nine till five, you have your breaks, you be productive. And... You know, it basically ingrains us to be workers, but to be entrepreneurial and innovative, you've got to really step out of that space and into something completely different. So I needed quite a bit of support to move from worker self to entrepreneurial self, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. Yeah. So yeah. And it was hugely beneficial around, you know, watching different videos and reading books and having conversations and um, looking at a lot of research that has been done through, um, who's some of the, um, like Edward Bernays and, and even Freud you know, around the psychology and psychology of selves and how that positions us and mm. the hero's journey and being the victim and blah, 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 blah. I could go on forever, but so no formal education, but yeah. very much um, a lot of learning and a lot of work on me as, you know, on myself in terms of confidence and um, behaving, you know, towards being entrepreneur and, and stepping out of that worker self. Yeah. yeah okay. no formal stuff right okay but it sounds like there was still a lot of deep learning going on all the way through that and still ongoing absolutely absolutely 
Yeah. So, so if someone was in your position where they were about to contemplate leaving education mm-hmm. and they just felt stuck mm-hmm. and unsure of what to do first, what advice would you give to someone in that position? I would say have a conversation with somebody who has been there and done that, such as yourself or me or somebody else out there who can sit down and and you can have that conversation, a bit of a brainstorming session to unpack where they're at and then what skills do they have that they might be able to start their own business or, um, you know, is there something they can put um, up online such as a course? Because we know that the self-education and coaching business is something that is booming and is going to continue to boom. So, um, yeah, I, I would suggest sitting down with people that have left the profession and have successfully set up businesses and, and I guess leaning on them a bit to say, well, this is what I want to do, but I don't know how to get there. I don't know what the first step is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Talking to okay. someone who's done it. So if someone what so, so that was FIFO families. Now you're doing the high profit media. Mm-hmm. So what's your actual service? And if someone wanted to use it, how would they get in touch with you? Yeah. So they can get in touch with me through my website, which is high dash or hyphen profitmedia.com. Uh, high profit media on Instagram and Facebook. Um, but what I actually do now is it's a few things is I, I do media training and coaching so I can teach you how to write media releases and who to contact and when to contact different media so that you can get your story out there and start reaching your ideal client. Um, I also do marketing services now as well. So I'm something that I'm upskilling this year is around writing copy. So effective copy so that you're using words of influence that will influence your ideal customer so that when you're writing to your teachers or whoever it is, you're using words that captivate them and, and pull them in immediately. Mm. Um, and then I'm also just um, doing some videoing, like putting videos together as well. So using that copy images and music to, to make really compelling videos that speak directly to your ideal customer. So the media training, coaching, copywriting, a bit of marketing and, and video production. Wow. Okay. Mm. Fantastic. And I will put those links up on the, the show notes for this episode um, on the Buzzsprout platform and also on my website. So um, if people want to find out a bit more about you, Nicole, they can um, by, the, by that method. So Nicole, what's life like for you now? Oh, it's busy. <laughs> it's busy. So uh, I'm, I'm back in Ballarat. I've been back here for about 16 months now, decided to come back closer to family. My husband's still away, um, still got three kids. They're 10, 12 and 14. So it's really for me at the moment about balancing or, you know, getting that state of being productive in my business and running my business and also being there as a primary carer for my kids. So yeah, busy times, but yeah, happy, good. It sounds like it's pretty fulfilling at the same time. Yeah, it is. That's the word I'm looking for. Thank you. (laughs) Yes, fulfilling. It is. Okay, so Nicole, the question that I, I'm ending every podcast with, what's the legacy you want to leave in the world? Mm, that's a great question. The legacy I think I would like to leave is have a go. If there's something that you want to do, there's something that you want to try, um, back yourself and do it because you'll never you'll never know unless you try. And one of the biggest lessons I've learned is you must get comfortable with feeling uncomfortable. And then once you can do that and you go, I'm safe, I'm not getting eaten by tigers, 
I'm actually doing this and you know, the world isn't falling apart. Okay. I can go and do it again. So it would just be that have a go, put yourself out there and have a go. Fantastic. Nicole Ashby, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. It's been an absolute pleasure talking with you. Oh, thanks so much for the opportunity. You've been listening to the Get Out of Teaching podcast presented by Larksong Enterprises with your host, Elizabeth Diakos. Do you know someone else who could benefit from hearing more stories of hope and transition from teachers all around the world? Please take a moment to share this and other episodes via your podcast app. Each share helps me reach listeners just like you who can benefit from this content. The Get Out of Teaching podcast is proud to be part of the Experts On Air podcast network. For show notes and other resources, please visit larksong.com.au forward slash podcast.